Turn to the book of Galatians this morning. Galatians chapter 5. Our verse, the verses today are uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And uh, two weeks ago, we talked about Ephesians 5.18, where the Bible says, don't be drunk with wine, uh, which leads to dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, what does a, if you do that, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, what does it look like? Well, Paul now tells us what a Spirit-filled life looks like in Galatians chapter 5, in verses 22 and 23, let's stand together in honor and reverence the reading of God's inspired, infallible, inerrant word. And here's what he says. So if you're filled with the Spirit, and daily we're to pray, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. We're, that's a command of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such there is no law verse 24 says and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires so if we're filled with the spirit we're going to demonstrate a life of the fruit of the spirit let's pray together father we pray now that as we examine this passage, we begin to understand even more what it means to live a life filled with your Spirit. We ask that your Holy Spirit guide us and speak to us so that our life outside these four walls points people to the cross of Christ and that by our actions and our words, we show Christ to everyone we meet. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, hold on, hold your Bible open there in Galatians 5 because if you notice, verse 22 begins with the word but, but the fruit of the Spirit. So there must be something uh, important that occurs prior to that. Be and, and, and so what Paul teaches us is that people who are out of the control of the Spirit produce works of the flesh and he begins to list those when you're not controlled by the spirit the degenerate nature that we possess produces horrible evils so just back up a little bit let's go back to verse 16 let's just read through this passage and see what Paul says I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So if you're walking in the spirit, you're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, in case that uh, is confusing to anybody, and say, well, what does that mean? The spirit lusts, verse uh, 17, the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. And many of us could say, there are parts of times in my Christian life when I know the things that I want to do, I do the very opposite of that. Paul even says that. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now he begins to listen. Now the works of the flesh are evident. In other words, we can see it. Which are adultery, 
Adultery is a relationship of sexual nature with a person who is not your partner, your legal married partner. So it's not your husband, not your wife. So adultery. Fornication. So we're talking about sexual immorality. Fornication is sex with a person that you are not married to. So adultery is when you're married and you are cheating on your spouse. Fornication is, and listen, we live in a nation today who believes there's nothing wrong with this. We've got people, we've got young people living together, uh, sleeping together, and they see nothing wrong with that, and they continue to walk around and say, well, I love Jesus. Uh, Paul says the works of the flesh are evident, adultery, fornication, any sex outside, listen to me, write this down, any sex outside the bonds of matrimony between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman is a sin against God. That's a very unpopular position to hold today, but it is a biblical position. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissension, heresy, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things do not inherit the kingdom of God. That's the work of the flesh. But... So there's the but, verse 22. What's the opposite of that? If you're controlled by the Spirit, then you're going to display love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. Little boy was being punished by his parents. He's confined to his bedroom and Whenever that would happen, he would sneak out. After his mom and dad had gone to bed, he'd sneak out of the house, and he'd climb down an old fruit tree that was just outside his window. One day, he overheard his mom and daddy talking, and his daddy said, I'm going to cut down that old fruit tree because it uh, just doesn't produce any fruit anymore. It hadn't produced fruit in years. Well, the fellow figured he better do something because his tree was about to go, and that was his escape Right, so that night he and his friend bought a bushel of apples and they went out there and they taped apples all over that tree. One thing was full of apples the next morning and dad got up and he couldn't believe his eyes. He walked in the kitchen. He said, honey, I can't hardly believe it. That old tree that's been barren for all these years is covered with apples. He said, well, you know what the strangest part is? It's a pear tree. <laughs> all right. A tree is known by what? It's fruit. A pear tree bears pears. An apple tree bears apples. And that's what Paul's talking about here. The Bible compares godly, growing Christians to trees. And I think the Bible does that because a tree bears fruit of itself. And apart from that, if it doesn't bear fruit, it's lifeless, it's dead, it's worthless. And so Paul says, you're a tree and you're to bear this fruit of the Spirit. 
Think about the little boy who was disappointed. He had some hens, and uh, he was sort of disappointed in the size of the eggs that they were laying. So he went downtown, and he came back home with a large package, and he unwrapped an ostrich egg. Have you ever seen an ostrich egg? It's huge. And so he walked into the chicken coop with that ostrich egg in his hand. He held it up, and he said, all right, ladies, I want you to look at this and try harder. (laughs) Try harder. And that's how many Christians live their life. Many Christians live their life thinking, I've just got to try harder. I've just got to do, I have to do my best. They're, they're living unproductive lives. They're living unfruitful lives. They're not, see, they're not producing the fruit of the Spirit. And they say, we just have to try harder. Reminded of a quote by Major Ian Thomas. He said, through the Holy Spirit, Man makes himself available to God, and God is prepared to make himself available to man. The Spirit becomes the agent of a mutual inner availability. All there is, now listen to this, this is your life if you're a believer. All there is of God is available to every human being. All of God is available to you. But then he says, if you are available to God. Every bit of God is available to you in your Christian life if you are available to God. Now, earlier in chapter 5 of Galatians, Paul tells us that uh, the believer is set free in Christ. He says, Christ has liberated us to be free. And then he says, therefore, stand firm And don't submit yourself again to the yoke of slavery. Don't get entangled in slavery by trying to, um, you're not saved by your works. Don't try, it's not about try harder. Uh, Don't get get entangled in slavery trying to be uh, saved by your works or by religion or by ceremonies. Paul just says, put your trust in Jesus. In verses 16 to 18, Paul says that the man of faith has the Spirit. You have the Spirit. You walk by the Spirit. If you walk by the Spirit, you are led by the Spirit. And that being true, then the Spirit begins to bear fruit in your life. In the life of a Christian, uh, in and through us, the power of God is manifested by the Holy Spirit of God, and we begin to, to bear fruit. So we've got the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We're to follow the leading of the Spirit. And if we do that, the result of walking by the Spirit is what? This fruit of the Spirit. That is a life that produces a life that looks like Jesus. That's what the fruit of the Spirit does. When the fruit of the Spirit is evident in your life and mine, then what is happening in our life is God is just reproducing the life of Christ in us. If we claim to be saved every day, when we ask the Holy Spirit who dwells in us already, if we ask him to take control of our lives, then we're asking him, reproduce in me the life of Christ. And so we surrender to Christ and to the Holy Spirit, and Jesus lives his life through us. Now, I want you to notice something about this fruit. This wonderful list of things that Paul says, if you're 
allowing the Spirit to guide you and lead you. He calls it the fruit of the Spirit. It's not works of the Spirit. If you live a Spirit-filled life, a Spirit-led life, then the Spirit fruit, you can't earn it, you can't buy it, you can't secure it through any human effort. No matter how much you try to be good, no matter how much you try to do good, no matter how much you try to live good, you're never going to bear the fruit of the Spirit by trying to live it on your own. You can't produce it. You, you, you and I don't have the ability to love others the way we ought to love others. Uh, if, if the only thing you're going to just, I'll try to love people better. Well, you can't do that. It, it, it's easy to love the lovely, right? <laughs> it's easy to love people who are nice to us. It's easy to love people who are sweet and they're always doing kind things and they're always doing nice things. And boy, when you see them coming, you just, there's, there's something that just happens. It's just easy to love them. Now, there's some other folks that when you see them coming, uh, you sort of walk to the other side of the room because you know what's getting ready to happen. There's going to be complaining. There's going to be something that they don't like. There's going to be something you did or you didn't do or you should have done. And, and boy, you know, you know who those people are. Don't look at me like you don't know who I'm talking about because I know you know exactly who I'm talking about. All right? And if you don't know who we're talking about, it's probably you. All right? So just think about that. Loving lovely people is easy. The Bible doesn't tell us to just love those who love us. It says love our enemies. Love those who persecute us. Love those who wish evil against us. Joy. Joy can't be bought uh, with money. Joy can't uh, buy peace. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, um, uh, Come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. That word rest is peace. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give you the peace that the world gives. Your heart must not be troubled. You have the peace of God. So patience. Patience is grace that is produced only by the Holy Spirit. You can't, I hear people say, I just need more patience. Listen, if you start praying for patience, you know what God's going to do? Put you in situations where you need to have patience. And all of a sudden, you realize you can't do it. You don't have the ability to do those things. Uh, to be kind, or to be good, or to have faith, or to be gentle, or to have self-control. Those things only come, listen, they only come by the Holy Spirit. So when you read Galatians 5, and 23, don't sit there and think, well, I'm going to try to do that. I'm going to try to love more, and I'm going to try to be more joyful, and I'm going to try to have peace, and I'm going to try to have long. You can't do it. These things are not produced in your life by works. They are produced only by surrendering yourself to the control of the Holy Spirit of God. It's the only way you get it. Dr. W.T. Connor said that the fruit of the Spirit is the natural result of the working of the Holy Spirit of God in us. And then he says, 
these ripened qualities of Christian character do not come so much by man striving as and energizing as they do by simply yielding yourself to the Lord. You just give yourself to God. Being filled with the Spirit is, is not an option. You know, we talked about that and we talked about Ephesians 5.18. Uh, be filled with the Spirit, Paul said. That's not, a, that's not an optional thing. That's a command. We are constantly, continually, completely commanded to be filled with the Spirit. And the result is that you're going to start bearing this fruit that, that others will see and they'll recognize. Uh, just ask yourself right now, if somebody were, you know, if you were to stop, somebody knows you very well, uh, your spouse, your children, uh, somebody in this church, and you say, listen, does, does my life, when, when you think about me, do you think about the fruit of the Spirit? Now, now don't ask that question if you don't want to hear the answer. Right? But if I'm really controlled by the Spirit of God, I claim to be saved. I claim to be a follower of Jesus. Then people ought to recognize it. They ought to see it. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit of God will begin to bring forth then these, th this fruit. And it's noticeably, listen, it's noticeably different than the way your life was before you got saved. If you're the very, if you act the very same, you talk the very same, you do the very same things you always did, you go to the very same places you always went, you're involved in the very same things you always were involved in, that if, if after you're saved nothing is transformed in your life, then I question whether or not you really had an experience with Jesus Christ to begin with. You see, those things that Paul lists early in, uh, earlier in verses 18, uh, 19, where he's listing the things that are produced by the flesh, that's who we used to be. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life. And so Paul says, when the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, you no longer are envious, you no longer are drunks, you're no longer involved in, in, in revelries and all those unclean things. And listen, that's not an exhaustive list, by the way. That's not an exhaustive list of sins. Paul's just giving some examples. He says, if you're saved, then there's going to be some major differences that show up in your life. Let's look at them real quick. Number one, he says, the first one is, the fruit of the Spirit is love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, Paul says, now these three things remain or abideth forever, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. John 13, 35, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you go to church every Sunday, not what he said. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. If you tithe. Mm -mm. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you have what? Love for one another. Romans chapter 5, verse 5, Paul says, this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Listen, 
You and I as Christians are supposed to be living demonstrations of the love of God to the world. We are living demonstrations of the love of God. We're to walk in love. We're to talk in love. We are to manifest the love of God to all the people that we meet. You say, well, listen, that's very hard. It surely is. That's not something I can do on my own, right? That's difficult. There's a lot of folks out there who don't believe what I believe. There's a lot of folks out there who don't behave the way I behave. And yet the Bible says, as a spirit-filled, spirit-led believer, I am to show and demonstrate the love of God even to those folks who don't demonstrate or show it back to me. Because then somebody said, how in the world could you love so-and-so? How in the world could you love somebody who does that? How in the world could you love somebody who acts that way? I can't. I can't. But when the Holy Spirit of God has control of me, then he produces a love in me that is unlike any other love that is available. This word that Paul uses, of course, is the word agape. It's the kind of love that God has for you. It is unconditional love. It is the love that says there is absolutely nothing that you can do that would make me love you any less than I love you now. There's nothing that you could do that would make me love you more than I love you now. It's an unconditional love. God does not, listen, God does not love out of emotion. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, the Bible simply says God is love. So love becomes the badge of Christianity. All of the attributes that follow this, all the other fruit that Paul lists here are rooted in this unconditional love. So if we are going to be people who make an impact in the world, if we're people whose hearts are not consumed with love, listen, if our hearts are not consumed with love, then we're not filled with the Spirit. It's that simple. If your heart is not consumed with the love of God to others, you're not filled with the Spirit. God never loves us any more than he loves us right now. And as we walk in the Spirit, that unconditional love of God just begins to flow from us. We find ourselves loving others regardless of who they are or what they do. Now listen, don't get, don't, remember, God does not love out of emotion. So this is not an emotional thing. This is we love them because we're concerned. What are we concerned about? We're concerned about their eternal destiny. I'm concerned about their salvation. I don't always approve. Listen, I don't always approve of what people do. I don't approve of lifestyles that people live. I don't approve of the things that I see that people are engaged in, but I don't love them. If I'm filled with the Spirit, I don't love them less just because I disapprove of their lifestyle. Don't, don't mix this up with emotion. Don't mix this up with saying, if I say I love you, then that means I approve of everything that you do. No, no. Think about your own children. Is there anybody here who has perfect children? I'd like to shake your hand, number one. Uh, no. There, there are decisions that my children have made in their lives that I didn't approve of. 
Did I stop loving them? Not if I'm a good parent. Not if I'm a good parent. Think about how much more God loves you. And so that's why Paul begins this list with the fruit of the Spirit is love. It is an unconditional love. Well, then what does that produce? Joy. I wish I had a camera now just to sort of pan out over this congregation so you could see the joy. When you, listen, when you have the joy of Jesus, days get brighter. The night's more enjoyable. Life just becomes more bearable. There is a joy when you get saved. When you truly get saved, there's a joy that resides in your heart that wasn't there before. Happiness, don't confuse happiness with joy. Happiness is determined by what? What happens. That's why it's called happiness. Happiness is all about what happens. So if I don't get my way, if I don't get what I want, then I'm not happy. Joy, the Bible says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. So even when things aren't going the way I want them to go, even when things don't happen the way I want them to happen, I have a joy inside of me that cannot be, uh, cannot be taken away because it's the joy of the Lord. It's the joy of the Spirit. Your joy comes when you know that you are right with God and that your eternal home is waiting in heaven and it doesn't matter what Joe Biden does. You hear what I'm saying? Doesn't matter what happens with COVID. I had a conversation with a man uh, just uh, less than 30 minutes ago. And you know what he said to me? I'm looking forward more to going to heaven every day. Me too. Get sweeter every day. I look at what's going on. Why, 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 how can you say that, Pastor. One of my favorite TV shows when I was a kid was the Beverly Hillbillies. Don't judge me. I loved Granny for many reasons. But you remember, Granny would go out to the cement pond just before she met with Ms. Drysdale across the hedgerow. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. You know, we don't sing that anymore because it wouldn't look right if we did. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. I didn't like the songs today. I don't care. We weren't singing to you. When we start singing to you, you can pick out the songs. And we'll sing what you like. See, when you have the joy of the Lord... Even when things go wrong in your life, your joy is not affected. Many of the troubles and trials that you and I have are made easier because we have the joy of the Lord in our life. And you could give testimony to that. I look out over this congregation and I can see, I know so many of you have gone through so many difficult things in your life and yet you could give testimony to the fact that the joy of the Lord is what enabled you to get through some of the most difficult days in your life. That's not a joy that you work up on your own. That's a joy that's given to you in the Spirit. 
You know, when you finally come to a place where you can, you can say with Paul, for I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things that are present nor things that are to come, not height, not depth, not any creature, there is nothing in this world that will ever be able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus my Lord. When you're finally able to say that in your life, in the darkest day of your life, you will begin to understand what it is to have joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Romans 14, 17, Paul says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, he gives you a peace that's beyond understanding. We need that peace. We need that peace when we go through the storms of life, don't we? We can draw on the peace of God. I think about the disciples in the little boat going over the Sea of Galilee. I've been on the Sea of Galilee when the wind picked up some. It wasn't nearly a storm, but just enough wind to make me uncomfortable on a boat. And I was on a Decent-sized boat. They're in a little canoe-looking thing. And they're scared to death. And where's Jesus? Asleep. And they wake him up. Don't you care that we're all about to drown here? Don't you care that this boat's about to capsize? And Jesus gets up. What does he say? Peace. Be still. Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey his voice? When you have the peace of God in your life, it doesn't matter what happens in your life because the peace of God is greater. He gives a peace that cannot be explained. And if you have that, listen, if you're somebody who is filled with the peace of God, you're, I don't have to worry about you starting an argument in church. Unless somebody just really pushes you, you're forced into it. But somebody who's, who has the peace of God is just able to, they sort of, we, we would say in today's, but they just sort of roll with the punches. When peace falls from your branches, it just plants seeds of more peace. You ever met somebody like that? Who they just, they were just at such peace with God in everything they did that as they walked along, it's almost like little seeds of peace fell off of their life and just, it just spread wherever they went. People who have the fruit of peace are not easily shaken. They live in perfect harmony with God because they believe God's going to carry them through every situation. Your peace is easily shaken. If you fall to pieces, every little thing that happens in your life, then maybe you need more peace in your life. You need the peace of God. And listen, let me just say this right quick. You cannot have the peace of God until you have peace with God. You can't have the peace of God 
till you have peace with God. So if you're living outside of the will of God, if you're, if you're not doing what God wants you to do, if you're, not, if you're not serving him every day, if you're not continually filled with the spirit of God, you're never gonna have the peace of God because you're at odds with God. God's not gonna fill a dirty vessel. Peace, patience. When God is at work in your life on the inside and he starts producing love and joy and peace, it shows up on the outside in patience, kindness, and goodness. So if you have love, joy, and peace on the inside, people are gonna be able to see it in your life and they're gonna see it because you've got patience, kindness, and goodness. Patience is the, patience is the flower that grows from the seed of peace. If you're at peace with yourself and with, with God, people won't easily be able to rattle you. People who are patient are not easily angered. Now, that doesn't mean they don't get angry. It just means that it's harder for them to get. There. And, and even, even then, their anger is tempered by the love of God. A person who is patient doesn't get upset when other people do wrong and get in their face. Patient means I'll suffer being wrong, I'll suffer being mistreated, I will suffer in allowing others to make mistakes for a, because for a long time I know that's how I used to live my life. I remember what it was like not to have the peace of God. The love of God gives me joy. The love of God produces an inner peace within myself so that other people don't affect me unless I allow them to. The love of God makes me want to keep a good relationship with everybody. This one may be the hardest one for most Christians. Most Christians say, well, patience, that's, that's what I need. Because, listen, you can't be patient until you literally have totally surrendered your, your life to God. You will, never, you will never experience this patience until you are totally controlled by the Holy Spirit. We need a supernatural intervention from God in our lives. And when that happens, God will supply us with everything we need. Don't walk around saying, I, I just wasn't blessed with patience. God will give you patience if you ask for it. Just be ready. It's going to take a total surrender on your life in order for you to get it. Then there's kindness. Everybody loves a kind person, right? Because they're so polite. They're so considerate. Uh, I found that kindness is one of those things that takes a long time to develop. It's not something that's just natural to us. Maybe that's why those of us who are older are kinder and have more patience with. I have more patience with my grandchildren than I ever had with my children, right? A person who displays this fruit is the one who speaks, uh, who speaks and doesn't wait for somebody else to speak to them. <laughs> A person who's kind is the one who speaks first. They don't, they don't go home and say, I walked right past the preacher this morning. He didn't say a word to me. Did you speak to him? Well, no. It's his job to speak to me. And let me tell you something. If that's your attitude, I ain't going to speak to you. 
So go ahead home. <laughs> I just ain't going. Kindness. If a person is truly filled with the kindness of God, they are the ones who treat others the way they want to be treated. This is the person Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, when he says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. The Holy Spirit would have us to be kind with our words. Sharp and unkind words ought not ever flow from the lips of a Christian. The art of saying the appropriate thing in a, in a kind way. One poet said, thoughts unexpressed fall to the earth dead, but heaven itself can't recall them once they are said. Kindness. Goodness. Goodness sort of goes hand in hand, I guess, with kindness. Um, goodness is when you are a blessing to other people by being kind or being caring or being loving. You look for the good in a person, knowing that the Holy Spirit has the ability to take bad stuff and turn it into good stuff. Barnabas is the best illustration of that in the Bible. The Bible, Luke, describes Barnabas this way. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Now, we go around talking about people being good all the time. I've, I've, I've been to too many funerals where people stood up and said, well, he was a good man. That's not what Luke says about Barnabas, is it? It says he was a good man, but why was he good? You got to read the whole thing. Barnabas was a good man because he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of faith. That's what made him the man that he was. You see, the Holy Spirit is the one who makes us upright in heart. So every true Christian finds delight in goodness. And then there's faith, Paul says. Now, this faith is not salvation faith. That's not what this one is. Uh, this is not the uh, faith that you place your trust in Jesus Christ. This is the faith that causes you to be completely dependent on Jesus every day of your life. Uh, you, it's a dependability. A person who's filled with the love of God, who has the joy of the Lord, who's at peace with God and his fellow man, who's patient toward others, um, who's kind and gentle, all those things, is going to be a person who is always faithful to perform whatever duties he's been given. When somebody isn't faithful, so I, I've met so many, <laughs> I've had so many people come uh, to me through the years and they've got this great idea. I've got a great idea, Pastor. I've got this great ministry. I've got this great thing that we need to do. And they say, great, why don't you do that? And then they never follow through with it. That's a lack of faithfulness. And if you have a lack of faithfulness in your life, my guess is you're lacking a lot of the other fruit of the Spirit as well. Then there's gentleness. Some translation, your translation might have called it meekness. Most people don't know what meekness means. Meekness is not lying down on the floor and letting everybody walk all over you and just being passive. Uh, I know Jesus said we're to turn the other cheek 
when somebody hits you on the one side of the face, but that doesn't mean you allow there, you allow somebody to stand there and beat you to a pulp. That's not what that means. Meekness means that I'm not going to be easily provoked into a fight. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to do all that I possibly can to make peace with anybody who comes against me. But I'll tell you this. There probably is going to come a time when I'm not going to allow anybody or anything to just come in and destroy me without putting up a, a defense. Meekness is I'm going to do everything in my power to live at peace with all people. But at some point, I'm just going to wipe, knock the dust off my shoes, as Jesus said. I'm going to knock the dust off my shoes and move on. Meekness means that I'm going to be patient and I'm going to be gentle and I'm going to try. It's sort of like the story of the fellow grizzled old truck driver who was eating in a truck stop one night and all of a sudden these three hoodlums walked in. They saw him sitting at the counter and one of them walked right over to where he was and took his cigarette and just mashed it right down into a piece of pie that the man was eating. The other one come over there and looked at the fellow spitting his cup of coffee third one he come by he took the plate that the man was eating out of just turned it right upside down right on the counter the old truck driver didn't say a word got up walked on out of the diner those three hoodlums were sitting there they said he ain't much of a man is he the waitress said well he ain't much of a truck driver neither he just run over three motorcycles outside there in front of the diner um meekness Meekness is the thing that points to the maturity of our faith uh, because we know who we are, we know whose we are, and we don't have to worry about what somebody else thinks about us. We don't have to worry about what somebody else does to us or says to us. Then Paul uses the term self-control. This one may be the one that uh, we struggle with the most. I know most people think it's patience. I think it's self-control. When you have begun to show the fruit of the spirit of self-control, you come a long way, baby, Uh, because self-control is not something that you... Self-control means that this is totally without my ability to... to, I'm doing this not of my own ability, but the Lord himself has has done this in my life when I show self-control. And in fact, if you don't have all the other fruits of the Spirit, then self-control is nearly impossible. If you don't have the love and joy and peace and meekness and and patience and all those things, then self-control is almost impossible because it takes the love of God and the power of God to bring us under the control of the Holy Spirit so that he is able to control our passions. He's able to control our lusts. There's not one of us who's capable of of overcoming every temptation in our own power. So what self-control means is that we recognize those things in our life that would tend to tear us down. We recognize those things in our life that would tend to draw us away from God and we don't put ourselves in a position where uh, we would be around those kind of things. We don't indulge in those things so that we can stay close close to Jesus. Uh, The fruit of self-control is the thing that doesn't allow us to be gluttons. 
Self-control is the thing that allows us not to be drunkards or braggarts or prideful. Self-control requires that you bring your body, mind, and spirit under the control and the desire of the Holy Spirit and you deny the flesh any of those things that would cause you to point to yourself and not to Jesus. And see, the issue then for all of this boils down to the word control. Who is it that controls you? Is it you or is it God? If you're a Christian, it really goes back to the day that you got saved. You made a decision on the day that you got saved that you were going to surrender your life to Jesus. That's what it meant. When you came and you repented of your sins and you confessed Jesus as your Savior, what you were saying to him is, I give up control of my life. I give you control of my life. And from this day forward, I'm going to be controlled by the Spirit of God. Every time I get into that old sinful nature of mine, I'm making an attempt to take the wheel away from Jesus. Every time I get into that old sinful nature of mine, that's when I'm saying, I don't trust you, Lord, to do what you want to do. I've got some things. I've got some plans. I've got some things I want to do in my life. So here, let me drive a while. Back in the 70s, I remember people had a bumper sticker on their car. Sometime I'd see it, and it said, Jesus is my co-pilot. I hope you don't have one of those anywhere around. If you do, go home and burn it. Because if Jesus is your co-pilot, you're not even saved. Right? Jesus is your pilot. He's the one driving this car. He's the one flying this plane. He's the one living this life. When you got saved, you said, I give control of my life over to you. I'm going to sit in the back seat. I'm just going to sit back here and ride. Because I'm going to go where God wants me to go. I'm going to say what God wants me to say. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Because from this day forward, I'm under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. So the question becomes, you say, well, I, listen, this sermon, uh, you, you didn't tell me really anything that I didn't already know. I didn't learn anything really that much today. I knew all these things. Okay, let's see if I can bring it home for you. How about that? My question to you is this. Who's driving your car? Because if the Holy Spirit is driving your car, then what I ought to see out of your life and what you ought to see out of my life are the fruit of the Spirit that we just went through. That's not something I'm going to try to do better on. So the decision this morning is not, well, you know what? I think I need to be more patient, so I'll just try to be more patient. If that's what you got out of this, you just wasted a whole hour of your time and mine because you can't try to be better. You can't try to be uh, gooder than you already are. You can't try to be more patient. You can't try to be more meek. No, it's not about that. It's about who's driving the car. Are you under the control of the Spirit? Have you given control of your life to Jesus Christ? Now, you say, well, most of the time I have. Then you need to be at this altar repenting of your sin because it's not about most of the time. It's about all the time. He either is in control or he's not in control. 
Too many of us are riding around and when something bad starts to happen, we start singing that song, Jesus take the wheel. He ought to have already had the wheel. What are you doing with it to start with? If you're a believer, you shouldn't even be touching the wheel. He's the one who's driving this. He's the one who's living his life through you. That's why I say, go home and ask your wife, do you really think, or ask your husband, do you think that Jesus lives his life through me? Be prepared to sit down and have a long conversation about what it means to be under the control of the Spirit. Does your life and does the fruit of your life bear and reflect the character and the nature of the one who saved you? Maybe this could describe you this morning. Twas not just the words you spoke, to you so clear, to me so dim, but twas that when you spoke, you brought a sense of him. In your eyes, he beckoned me, and in your smile, his love was spread until I lost sight of you, and I saw the Lord instead. That ought to be the prayer of our life. You don't see Keith. You see the Lord. Eddie, you don't see Eddie Flynn. You see Jesus. Adam, we don't see Adam Wolliver. We see Jesus. Right? It's all about seeing Christ in us. When you bear the fruit of the Spirit, what they're going to see is Jesus. Show them Jesus. Jesus.